Arise, O compatriots, Nigeria's call to obey, to serve our fatherland with love and strength and faith. The labor of our heroes past shall never be in vain, to serve with heart and might one nation bound in freedom, peace, and unity. Welcome to the Anthemist Podcast, a slightly irreverent exploration of the stories and histories behind national anthems and the songs which define nations. I'm your host, Josh Hugel. And I'm your co-host, Robert Winship. Today, we're talking about the Federal Republic of Nigeria. This is the first sub-Saharan African nation covered on the Anthemist. And Nigeria has a rich, though some would say contentious history, as it dealt with a great deal of instability during its emergence into the post-colonial world. So, sit back for the history and anthems of Nigeria. The earliest historical record of human settlement in the land now known as Nigeria goes all the way back to roughly 9000 BC, which is an acceptable time period even to young earth creationists. <laughs> Please stop writing into the anthemist, young earth creationists. <laughs> Nigeria has a long pre-colonial history represented in 12 separate and distinct kingdoms. And you can draw a direct line from many of these early kingdoms to the modern day regions and ethnic groups within the country. And we won't cover each of those groups here, but do encourage you to read more if and as you are interested. So it feels relevant as we dive into some very current conflicts and cultural struggles later on to sort of set the stage for how long a lot of these really complex issues have been going on. The the concept of Nigeria as a whole didn't really exist until British trade began to draw a circle on a map in the 1800s, and those distinctions just really aren't really all that tidy. I think that... It gets really easy if we talk about, like, let's just be lazy and use Western European nations as, a, as an example. Like, it is easy to look at Spain or Germany or Italy or insert European country here as, like, this big, monolithic, homogenous thing where we think all Germans are just German. But if you asked a German from Hamburg what he thought about Germans from Bavaria, he'd be like, man, those guys bump all of them hate them like they all suck like they're hyper conservative we're like much more liberal and liberated up here and it's all amazing much the same as if you asked someone from alabama what they think about say people from california exactly (laughs) like like the 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 longer we do this the more i realize that instead of looking at a nation as just like one homogenous blob really it's it's far easier to realize that these are at times, incredibly disparate sort of tribal societies, or at least like like smaller confederated semi-autonomous nation states who like begrudgingly all agreed to be part of one whole. I don't know. I don't really know the like the, the real the right word there, but essentially like we're all buying into the same thing because we have enough similarities in language or culture or history or whatever, and we got to decide what our borders look like. Or in the case of Germany, it was decided for them because they kept expanding and getting contracted by, you know, us and the Russians. So there is enough like inter-regional conflict in a nation that got to decide what it looked like 
imagine how much more contentious it would be if some white dude from the UK or France or the Netherlands or Belgium or whomever, wherever, decided that for you, irrespective of intersectarian rivalries or tribal issues or just, you know, the fundamental different value systems. And instead of doing it like, hey, man, like, like, what do you guys want to be? They were just like, well, this is all in one trade route and we all kind of deal with you guys unilaterally. So we're just going to decide and go like, there's Nigeria. You are all Nigerian now, which means that you have incredibly different faith-based societies like dealing with very real problems going well back before the Europeans even bothered to show up, still dealing with the same issues today. Obviously, like, this sort of thing is absolutely true in post-colonial Africa, as well as many uh, post-Ottoman Empire near and Middle Eastern nations, and Nigeria is uh, a great jumping-off point to sort of touch on these issues. So with... Uh, some more scene setting out of the way, we move on to the destructive effect of slavery. It is worth noting here that the practice of slave exportation in the continent of Africa was carried out over the course of like a thousand years uh, with the export of African slaves to Muslim nations starting in around the ninth century. It is widely believed that roughly 4 million were exported via the Red Sea, another 4 million through Swahili ports in the Indian Ocean, perhaps as many as 9 million along trans-Saharan caravan routes and somewhere between 11 and 20 million across the Atlantic. So Europeans didn't invent the, the pillaging and exportation of African laborers and intellectuals, but they certainly were able to industrialize it to a level therefore and hence never seen. Even though slavery did exist, it wasn't nearly as prevalent within most non-Islamic West African societies prior to the establishment of the transatlantic slave trade. Uh, it is, however, worth noting that there were other empires like slightly north of modern-day Nigeria, uh, being the Ghana Empire, Mali, Bono State, and Songhai Empire, uh, most importantly, who all very much like participated in that trans-Saharan slave trade. So with that scene set and context given, let's drill down to the history of Nigeria. In the 16th century, Portuguese explorers were the first Europeans to begin significant direct trade with peoples of southern Nigeria. At the port, they named Lagos and in Calabar along the region's slave coast. And a quick note about that name. I fully acknowledge, and we, that it is sort of dehumanizing and reductive historical designation for the chief export of that region of West Africa, especially when compared to, say, the Gold Coast or the Ivory Coast. To be clear, the Portuguese didn't just show up and peacefully start trading. Upon arriving in the region, they took the Canary Islands and raided the coast. It was only after African navies began to combat these raids that the Portuguese and other European powers opened trade deals with coastal kingdoms. If you can't beat them, why not exploit them through trade? Europeans essentially traded raw goods and slaves for manufactured goods through the practice of the Atlantic slave trade. 
This created a drastic economic shift for Western African nations where slavery went from a marginal part of the economy to the tentpole element in a very short amount of time. And at that same time, understandably, many African communities chose to relocate far away from slave trade routes, often protecting themselves from capture and forced entry into the system. Definitely good. But possibly hindering, or even definitely hindering, their economic and technological development. So, European slave trading from West Africa began before 1650 with people taking in a rate of about 3,000 a year. This rate quickly rose to about 20,000 per year in the last quarter of that century. The slave trade was heaviest in the period between 1700 and 1850, with an average of 76,000 people taken from West Africa each year between 1783 and 1792. Uh, in the 1700s, the Bight of Benin, also known as the Slave Coast, unfortunately, uh, became the second most important trade hub in the entire continent. Uh, beginning in 1740, the British became the primary European trafficker from this area, and from 1790 to 1807, when slavery was banned, predominantly British slave traders purchased between one to 2,000 slaves each year in Lagos alone. In 1807, the Parliament of the United Kingdom enacted the Slave Trade Act, prohibiting British subjects from participating in the slave trade. Britain subsequently lobbied other European powers to stop the slave trade as well. It made anti-slavery treaties with West African powers, which it enforced militarily. Some of the treaties contain prohibitions on diplomacy conducted without British permission or other promises to abide by British rule. This scenario provided an opportunity for naval expeditions and reconnaissance throughout the region. When we come back from a break, we will discuss Nigeria's designation as a crown colony. As the transatlantic slave trade was outlawed by Britain in 1807, most European powers started looking for new resources to use in their industries at home and started supporting widespread agricultural development to products like palm oil and palm kernels throughout Western Africa and prolifically in Nigeria. From 1815 to 1840, palm oil exports increased by a factor of 25 from 800 to 20,000 tons per year. By 1840, the palm oil exports alone were worth roughly a billion pounds a year. Needless to say, there was a substantial amount of interest in the area. In 1851, Britain who had been policing the coast against smugglers trying to illegally continue the black market slave trade, bombarded Lagos and helped to depose the slave trade-friendly king Oba Kosoko, uh, installing the more amenable Oba Akitoye, and signed the treaty between Great Britain and Lagos on January 1st, 1852. Britain then ultimately annexed Lagos as a crown colony in August of 1861 with the Lagos Treaty of Cession. Over the course of the later 1800s, British merchants began exploring further down the Niger River, establishing new trade routes and production. In the 1870s, George Taubman Goldie began the process of amalgamating trade organizations into the United African Company, which later became 
the National African Company, and finally, the Royal Niger Company. Over time, the company signed treaties with leaders of the Sokotu, Kwandu, and Nupe kingdoms, which granted it extremely broad sovereign powers. Officials of the Sokotu Caliphate didn't exactly see it that way and were more than a little confused with the outcome. From their perspective, the British were granted only trade rights, which didn't specifically prevent similar arrangements with the Germans and the French, and certainly did not surrender sovereignty to an export company. For example, one 1885 treaty read, quote, We, the undersigned kings and chiefs, with the view to the bettering of the condition of our country and people, do this day cede to the National African Company their heirs and assigns forever the whole of our territory. So, you know, there's that. Didn't read the fine print. Classic blunder. Didn't read the, the big print. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't read the print. The company considered itself the sole legitimate government of the area with executive, legislative, and judicial powers, but accepted that local kings could act as partners in governance and trade. Very noble of them. <laughs> Between 1892 and 1900, Britain began a more intentional campaign of forcibly compelling the remaining tribal kingdoms in the region to sign more explicit and restrictive treaties, essentially ceding over sovereignty and adding themselves to the growing Lagos Crown Protectorate with the end goal of transferring the whole region into a proper colony of the crown. So just think about that for a second. That's like saying that the Coca-Cola company is like, well, George is ours now because they like Coke down here. Or that Amazon essentially dictates housing prices in Seattle. Or, you know, all of <laughs> soon to be Northern Virginia. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> These sons of bitches. <laughs> so hard to believe. In 1914, the area was formally united as the colony and protectorate of Nigeria. The Royal Niger Company was paid 865,000 pounds, which adjusted for inflation is just over 100 million British pounds in compensation for the loss of its territory. And that region became the Northern Nigeria Protectorate. The company, of course, couldn't have been that bothered, however, as they continued to have a de facto monopoly over all commerce in Nigeria and carried on as a private entity. Again, that's like saying Amazon doesn't own the land anymore, but they still have sole right of ownership we can extract all 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 potential wealth in terms of exports and trade oh my gosh (laughs) i just feel physically ill just reading this administratively nigeria remained divided into the northern and southern provinces and the original lagos colony western education and economic development happened faster in the south than in the north uh with consequences felt in nigeria's political life basically ever since Uh, So finally, after the break, we will discuss Nigerian independence and the first national anthem. After World War II, Nigerian nationalism and calls for independence grew, and the British government offered several rounds of increasingly autonomous constitutions basically moving Nigeria towards self-government by baby steps. On October 1st, 1954, the colony became the Autonomous Federation of Nigeria. 
On October 27, 1958, Britain agreed that Nigeria would become an independent state one year later on the 1st of October, 1960. The fledgling Nigerian government released a constitution that provided for a parliamentary government and a substantial amount of self-government for the country's three regions. They also put forth the first national anthem titled, Nigeria, We Hail Thee. That was the first national anthem of Nigeria, Nigeria, We Hail Thee. Josh, would you do us the uh, honor of reading the lyrics to that? Certainly. Nigeria, we hail thee, our own dear native land. Though tribe and tongue may differ, in brotherhood we stand. Nigerians all, and proud to serve, our sovereign motherland. Our flag shall be a symbol that truth and justice reign, in peace or battle honored, and this we count as gain, to hand on to our children a banner without stain. O God of all creation, grant this our one request. Help us to build a nation where no man is oppressed, and so with peace and plenty, Nigeria may be blessed. Robert, your thoughts? So this particular version, there were actually a couple versions Josh and I were talking about yeah. uh, of this anthem that we could listen to, one having a more military flair. Uh, the one that we went with, decidedly less military and much more the kind of like African choir style with a strange MIDI backing track. <laughs> um, <laughs> that MIDI is so good, dude. I love it. It, it feels like the, the outline of a traditional anthem kind of stuffed a little bit into an African style, but I like the the way in which they turn that into more of an African style. Sure. The lyrics, uh, and these were written originally in English, yeah. uh, I should say, so we're not reading a translation. Um, uh, it's it's nice. It's uh, positive sentiments, carries a few uh, of the, the hallmarks of anthems in, in terms of referring to God and nothing specific maybe about the geography of yeah. Nigeria. Just that it is dear and native. But yeah, I... I I, I always struggle not to say, I like it at the end of these, because they're all pretty good. 
Yeah, it's. I think like the original iteration is is very much like in, the, in that hymn style, and we're basically going to find that all three of them sort of fall generally into that boat. Um, none of them are, are really like super drastic departures from the other. Um, yeah, I I love the like. Man, oh man, and and this is going to also be kind of like a, re- a repeating theme. Like if if they just lived according to the values that they espouse in their anthem, mm-hmm. where like as we'll discover, Nigeria is an incredibly it's not again like one homogenous thing. Like there are incredibly diverse and differing like ethnic and sectarian groups all in one border, and if they really strived for true equality, like. Man, the 60s and 70s, and really, like, the whole latter half of the 20th century would have gone so much better for them as a nation. I appreciate that in the third verse, it presents an anthem as aspirational more than reflective. This is the, you know, the creation of a new independent nation and reflected in that anthem, oh God, help us build a nation where no man is oppressed. That's beautiful. Yeah. That's something that you would Absolutely. want to honor, I would think, universally. But I like that in the anthem it's reflected that this is something new. Help us make this as as perfect an ideal as yeah. as can be for a nation. As, as we work Versus reflecting towards... on thousands or, or hundreds of years of um, bloodshed and dominion. Yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely that, like, we realize that we're a work in progress. You know, like, please, like, watch over us and, gui- like, use your guiding hand as we work towards the bright Nigerian future. And amen. And, and as such, the, the hymn is fairly traditional, but the take that we heard, I think, reflects both a newness and a freshness and an optimism that, yeah. that I really find appropriate for the lyrics of this and where Nigeria was at that point in time. Certainly. So uh, a little bit kind of the history of the song. In the year between Britain granting independence and the actual signover, the new Nigerian government held two separate contests. So they had one for the lyrics for a new anthem, which was won by a British... Wait, Josh, what did you say? A contest? A contest! For the first time in history! Afrovision! <laughs> so, uh, the not, but and not only that, we get not one, not one, but two, but wait, there's more! We get two contests, one for the lyrics and one like, you know, everybody sends in their submissions and, and we're going to pick a thing. So the lyrics were decided upon first, uh, which was won by a British Nigerian named Lillian Jean Williams. And afterwards, there was another competition for music composition, which was won by a British ballet composer named Francis Benda. So... Over the interim year, the new government released the combined song and began playing it daily on national radio, trying to acclimate people to their new anthem. It had a slightly less than desired effect, though, as there was almost instantly a huge national backlash, including the national paper creating an official committee to circulate a petition for a new anthem, which gained thousands of signatures. Eventually, the radio stations quietly stopped playing it, and the government just sort of laid in wait, or laid and prayed, I guess, for people to forget about it by the time that the day arrived, which, as it turns out, more or less worked. I like this wrinkle. We've talked about a few anthems that predate technology such as radio, but the great anthem rush of the early 20th century means that, you know, kind of broadcast media falls around the same times that a lot of these countries are getting national anthems. So this is the first time I think that we've talked about 
uh, a new national anthem being brought to the people via radio. Yeah. And I can imagine that if that were the case with other anthems, maybe there would have been backlash to any, if not all of those anthems. Certainly. Depending on the uh, the case of that country and, and how well dissidents were dealt with. But anyway. Yeah. If you were a, a, a proud Catholic in the Netherlands when they're circulating this anthem about the William of, William of Orange, mm-hmm. they might have been like, man, I don't want all this mess. What are you doing? <laughs> new song. New petition, song. Rioting in the streets. And what they realized was, well, we don't actually have to change it. We'll just stop blaring it in everybody's ears. <laughs> this is that, like, everybody had that friend in high school when they, like, like discovered, oh, man, bro, this new Under Oath record, the sun still sleeps. It's so great. And they play it every time you go over to their house, and you're just like, oh, my God, bro, can we just get, like, something else? Just, I don't care what, just anything. Uh, shout out to my cousin, Alex. I used to ride around in the car with Alex because he had a car and a license when I didn't. He was like a year older than me. And he played Warren G's Regulators, just that one <laughs> song on repeat. And that, and then when he finally got a copy of uh, Miss Jackson by Outkast, I heard both of those songs so much. And they're still great songs. I have come back around Did to he it. just have like a single CD? Like... How does that work? I think he just skipped. I think he just kept skipping back on the same song. Wow. We had like a little boombox. We'd take it around and go like skate at the elementary school. And yeah, we'd just play regulators over and over <laughs> and over. And ha- yeah, and many I still have not heard were had any other Warren G song. <laughs> <laughs> I love that song. That one holds up. But damn, regulators, you regulate any stealing of his property. We're damn good too. But you can't be any geek off the street. Gotta be handy with the steel if you know what I mean. Earn your keep. Regulators! Mount up. So, maybe don't introduce a new national anthem on radio at the height of this new, maybe not the height, but at, you know, like the early stages of this new exciting medium. Certainly. The biggest arguments against the anthem were essentially that both the composer and lyricists were British. A pretty fair argument, I must say. Yeah, I guess. People had hoped that out of the 500-plus submissions by native Nigerians, they might have been able to find something that better fit the soul and atmosphere of the new country. Sort of talked about this with Japan as well, at least versions of a similar anthem. This is a pretty fair argument. New country, it should certainly come music and lyrics from Nigerians, not from the previous uh, overlords, if you will, (laughs) uh, of this country, who so generously handed back control to Nigerian citizens. The other two main complaints were about the actual music itself. A group of Nigerian musicians set out to prove that the music was actually plagiarized, at least in part, from a British hymn. A separate group was frustrated that the lyrics were chosen first instead of selecting a song and making lyrics fit to it, which, again, fair. Written a few songs myself, go back and forth on whether you write lyrics and music separately. Sometimes lyrics are really great. You can form a song around them, and sometimes you just mash them together and hope it works. You just got to crowbar them on in there. The uh, jury's still out on that one. So if you really love Christmas, (laughs) come on and let it snow. Nevertheless, the anthem remained unchanged, and it was played for the first time officially at the Independence Celebrations on October 1st, 1960. Britain stuck to their word. It is, however, worth noting that this anthem, though not currently the national anthem of Nigeria, is still sometimes sung as a popular protest song. Now, we're going to a break. After that, we will discuss the Nigerian Civil War and the Kingdom of Biafra.
So right from the start of their independence, the cultural and political differences among the country's major ethnic groups, the Hausa Fulani, which occupied the northern provinces, the Igbo, which occupied the east, and the Yoruba, the westerners, led to nearly immediate unrest. In 1963, the nation established a federal republic with Namdi Azakiwe as its first president. When elections were held in 1965, the Nigerian National Democratic Party came to power in Nigeria's western region. This disequilibrium and perceived corruption of the electoral and political process led in 1966 to back-to-back military coups. The first, held in January of 66, resulted in the assassination of 30 high-level government officials, but spared the Igbo president, Namdi Azakiwe, and the plotters struggled to set up a centralized government. Uh, quickly, this was followed by a counter-coup in July by another military faction, which resulted in the death of 30,000 Igbo in the northern provinces. January of 1967 saw the signing of the Aburi Accords between the military junta and the political leaders of each region, which called for a more decentralized union of the disparate regions, which the Northerners were against. Upon their return, the national government unilaterally declared the creation of several new states, including some that gerrymandered the Igbos in Biafra, and basically, that was the last straw. In May of 1967, the governor of the eastern province, Lieutenant Colonel Emika Ojukwu, declared the region independent from the Federation as a state called the Republic of Biafra, under his leadership. He claimed that there was no way that the Igbo people of the East could coexist without the northern-dominated federal government. And with that, we will play the second of our anthems, and this is specifically the Biafran National Anthem. was the Biafran National Anthem. The lyrics are as follows. The lyrics are as follows. Land of the rising sun, 
we love and cherish. Beloved homeland of our brave heroes, we must defend our lives or we shall perish. We shall protect our lives from all foes, but if the price is death for all we hold dear, then let us die without a shred of fear. Hail to Biafra, consecrated nation, O fatherland, this be our solemn pledge. Defending thee shall be a dedication, spilling our blood will count a privilege. The waving standard which emboldens the free shall always be our flag of liberty. We shall emerge triumphant from this ordeal, and through the crucible unscathed will pass. When we are poised the wounds of battle to heal, we shall remember those who died in mass. Then shall our trumpets peal the glorious song of victory we scored or might and wrong. O God, protect us from the hidden pitfall. Guide all our movements lest we go astray. Give us the strength to heed the humanist call, to give and not to count the cost each day. Bless those who rule to serve with resoluteness to make this climb a land of righteousness. Um, yeah, a lot more somber, uh, that one. Reflecting loss and pain and struggle and bloodshed. Yeah, and, and very much again like a... A, a statement of intent in that they're like, all right, man, like we've had enough. Like you guys have killed enough of us. We have felt marginalized for, for a long enough period of time that it is time to shirk the yoke of our northern oppressors who believe different things with us. And my God's all about love. So we want to go do our own thing over here. Uh, and... Man, hindsight being twenty twenty, this really just didn't work out. As we'll as we'll cover in very briefly. Um, again, like the melody and song structure wise, I love this one. Like that, the the way that they kind of work the the tail end of the chorus, like that last kind of melodic line, is really solid. And like I think, in a way, differentiates it from like other stuff that we're hearing like before and after um again like the the lyrics have a similar sort of flow in a way uh to to the first anthem where like they they end the song with a, with a call to god and say please guide us through you know this time of trial and and help guide our leadership into this new era of biafran sovereignty as 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 we work towards our glorious future or what have you, but unfortunately that was not to be. So uh, let's go ahead and talk about the Nigerian Civil War. Biafra's secession set off the Nigerian Civil War, which began as the federal military government attacked Biafra on July 6, 1967. The 30-month war with a long siege of Biafra ended in January of 1970. The number of dead uh, in the former eastern region during that period is estimated to be roughly 3.5 million, most of which died due to starvation or exposure. Um, additionally, like several western and eastern powers, including France, Egypt, the Soviet Union, Britain, Israel, and others were heavily involved, uh, basically helping carry out a proxy war by supporting different sides of the conflict. Um, with their ultimate defeat, Ojukwu fled into exile to the Ivory Coast and left the management of the surrender to General Yabuku Gowon, 
of the Federal Army on January 13th, 1970, and thus came the end of the Civil War and renunciation of secession. Now, uh, very briefly, the people of Biafra, mainly ethnic Igbo, um, weren't exactly given a warm welcome, one could say, back to Nigerian society. Refugees that had fled the fighting returned to find people occupying their home and were unable to like reclaim their lands. Uh, anyone who took money out of Nigerian banks and converted it to Biafran currency was basically told, tough luck, and were given a bank account with like 20 bucks in it. Though I'm sure historically, since history is always written by the victor, there's probably a lot of talk about reconciliation and like how great things were really quickly because they discovered oil and everything was awesome. Uh, at the same time, things just really weren't great for Biafran separatists or Biafran refugees upon the cessation of hostilities. Now when we come back, we will discuss the Second Nigerian Republic and our final anthem. Nigeria bounced back economically rather quickly from the Civil War due to the discovery of large offshore oil reserves in 1970 and its resulting economic boom. The organization of the country was broken up further from four regions to 12 states, then to 19 states by 1976. That same year, the military head of state was assassinated and his replacement set a timetable for a return to civilian rule in September 1979. A new constitution was drafted in 1977, which was published a year later, and in a widely monitored election, Alhaji Shehu Shigari was elected president of the Second Republic. And with a new constitution, we have a new national anthem. This is our final and current national anthem of Nigeria, Arise, O Compatriots. That was Arise, O Compatriots, the current national anthem of Nigeria. Josh, take the lyrics. Arise, O Compatriots, Nigeria's call obey to serve our fatherland with love and strength and faith. The labor of our heroes past shall never be in vain to serve with heart and might one nation bound in freedom, peace, and unity. O God of creation, direct our noble cause, guide our leaders right, help our youth the truth to know, in love and honesty to grow, and living just and true, great 
lofty heights attain to build a nation where peace and justice shall reign. Robert, your thoughts? Uh, I mean, so a little bit of an apology for the version of that national anthem that we played. Uh, as we've said before, it, it's kind of hard to get good versions of national anthems as they don't bring in, you know, sort of, in general, the nation's top artists to record in a professional studio. <laughs> Definitely a like little ripped, pitchy from the soprano section. <laughs> ripped from LPs or live recordings or, or whatever. Yeah. yeah, a little pitchy, some strange... Uh, I, I, as I was telling Josh when we were listening to it, love the backbeat on that, that like on the two and <laughs> four, bum, like bum, snare hit. Yeah. <laughs> but the the lyrics are absolutely sound. Again, pushing love, strength, faith, more straightforward than the others. Yeah. I think uh, certainly a little bit shorter of a worthy entrant into the canon of of national anthems. Yeah. And one that certainly seems to concern itself with, and without like openly discussing reconciliation, one that's like, look, man, can we all just get rowing in the same direction here? And, and we all aspire for the same thing. Like, you know, uh, the labor of our heroes past shall never be in vain to serve with heart and might one nation bound in freedom, peace, and unity. Yeah. The, the labor of our heroes past is, yeah. is basically the, the, the biggest maybe euphemism for uh, the difficult history Man. <laughs> of separation and violence um, that is at least, you know, kind of captured in this anthem. Yeah. So information on this anthem is unfortunately pretty sparse, but we know uh, the lyrics are the result of yet another national contest. Uh, so the... Woo! Uh, again, like thousands of, of, of proud nationalistic Nigerians uh, sent in their submissions, and they basically took the five best entries uh, and sort of amalgamated all of it together to create the anthem uh, as it stands now. Writing by committee, always the best. Oh, Bye. man. <laughs> like, we all know that everybody's represented because we gave everybody a shot. Uh, and, and beyond that... Um, the lyrics themselves, when typically performed, uh, they usually only do the first verse, and the second verse is actually considered a national prayer. The words were then later put to music by the Nigerian police band conductor Benedict E. Odiase, and that's pretty much all we know. Uh, the Second Republic itself, unfortunately, fared even worse than the first, uh, the next series of elections were marred by violence and voter fraud, and the military took over the government in 1983 uh, and took a third shot at a democratically elected government in 1990, which was immediately thrown into turmoil when the sitting head of state annulled the election, and this meant that the third constitution drafted in 1990 was also not implemented. So finally, in 1999... Nigeria was able to transition from 16 years of consecutive military rule as they entered the period of the Fourth Republic. Which brings us to modern day. Nigeria is still a work in progress, currently dealing with widespread oil piracy through dangerous and illegal tapping of oil pipelines, uh, and also helping to lead the fight against Boko Haram in the northern region of their nation, as well as Cameroon, Chad, and Niger. Additionally, over the past 20 years, Nigeria has seen the emergence of the Movement for Actualization of the Sovereign State of Biafra, a nonviolent Biafran nationalist movement, 
which has seen several protests and clashes as the movement gains traction among the Igbo. On the bright side, modern Nigeria is considered the strongest economy in Africa and the 27th largest in the world. They're at the forefront of tech, a major hub of manufacturing, and have a pretty healthy middle class. The short version is that over the last 20 years, the GDP per capita has basically tripled. So they're doing something right. This is still very much an ongoing story, and obviously the political landscape will continue to evolve over time, as with all countries, uh, and indeed the world. But you could put a <laughs> sign here that reads, Nigeria, we're doing pretty well. And with that, we conclude Nigeria for the time being. Thanks for listening to The Anthemist. If you have any questions, comments, or strongly worded emails about anything we've covered, or if you'd like to add your story to the mix, send it to anthemistpodcast at gmail.com. Also, feel free, and I encourage you, to like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter or Instagram, at The Anthemist. And if you feel inclined to further support us, check out our Patreon, which you can visit via our website at theanthemist.com. Finally, Josh, what great nation will we sing about next time? And next time we'll be covering the nation of Tajikistan. So tune in, subscribe to The Anthemist wherever you listen to podcasts. And for The Anthemist Podcast, I'm Robert Winship. And I'm Josh Hugel. We'll see you next time. Thank you so much. Thank you.